0: you guys have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. As we continue our study in the book of Luke. We're going to kick off this study just by reading a, a, a portion of the book of Luke. And then we'll dive into breaking down the text. So let's begin with Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. Verse 1, we read, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria in the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We're going to take a look today. Had one of the awesome characters of the Bible. That's John the Baptist. From the Bible, we learn that John the Baptist was a, a wild man. He lived in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair and he ate grasshoppers. It was his diet locusts with honey? And here he is being used mightily of the Lord. He wasn't wearing his business suit that day and standing in front of a, a large auditorium yet the Lord was using him and he was quite weird you know maybe sometimes we, we feel like we're the oddball of a group we feel like we, we don't belong necessarily and as Christians I encourage us you know we shouldn't feel like we belong in this world our, our home is not here on earth, it is in heaven, in our eternal home, that eternal place. In Luke's gospel, chapter 3, Luke wants to give a, a detailed account, being that he is a doctor, he, he loves science, he wants to break down when this all happened. So let's break it down. Again, in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So now, from this account, we have details about when this took place and who was reigning at that time. Tiberius Caesar, as it mentioned, he began his reign around A.D. 13 and 14. So that in the 15th year, that would make this around the year A.D. 29. Now, tetrarch, that word, what it means is a ruler of a fourth part. So after the death of King Herod, the land was divided amongst four different rulers. Now normally the Jews, they had a high priest that they recognized. Just one. But when Rome took over, they decided that they wanted to implement their own high priest over the Jews. So they brought Caiaphas. So Caiaphas was placed there by the Roman government, but the Jews really recognized more more so Annas. But both were high priests during this time, Annas and Caiaphas. Now, what's interesting is that Caiaphas was actually Annas' son. And if you guys remember, that later on when Jesus is captured, when he's led captive for trial, They bring him to Annas illegally in the middle of the night so that he can be tried and beaten. Now, the reason why they brought him again to Annas was because Annas was more recognized as the elder for the Jews. And it was during this time that John the Baptist begins now his earthly ministry, his ministry where God is now using him. Imagine 30 years Growing up, wondering, God, when are you going to call me to begin to preach? When are you going to call me to, to perform what I believe is my destiny? Remember, the role of John the Baptist was that it was prophesied that he would be the announcer for the Messiah. And his father knew this, Zacharias. And I wonder if Zacharias was pouring into his son Raising him and training him and perhaps even told him of what God had promised. And John the Baptist all that time and out there in the wilderness just waiting for the Lord, the Holy Spirit to come upon him to move in this way. Being patient and sometimes it's hard as we're in ministry or desiring to do things of the Lord to wait and to be patient. Jesus told his disciples wait here in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We learned about that in the book of Acts. So if we have that in us, that desire to serve, that desire to see God lead us into that purpose-filled life, we need to be patient. We need to allow His Holy Spirit to have us to do that step by step, not getting ahead of God. Again, in verse 2, at the end of what we just read, in verse 2, it says, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Now keep in mind, after 400 years of Israel being now in captivity, there was no revelation from God. After the last book of the Old Testament, God stopped speaking to his people for 400 years. You see, the Israelites were constantly turning to idolatry. And then the Lord became silent with them. There was no more prophets for 400 years. And then finally, the Lord sends an angel to Zacharias to tell Zacharias that he was going to have his son, John the Baptist to tell him that John the Baptist was going to be the forerunner and help to bring Israel to repentance. But where do we see John the Baptist? John the Baptist, he wasn't in the temple. He wasn't in the fields or in the gardens. John the Baptist was in the wilderness. There's a, a season for us as believers that we go through. And sometimes we go through it for a season and we're taking out of it. And then we go back again to another wilderness. And that wilderness experience, relating again to the Israelites. Coming out of the world, out of Egypt. Being led by God himself. Forty years in the wilderness. Waiting upon him, waiting to enter into the promised land. In that wilderness, it's it's a season of struggle. It's a season of, of sometimes you you don't know where your provision's going to come from, where God is going to open the door, but you know God will make a way, as He did with the Israelites. It's a season of waiting, and that's where John the Baptist was. He was in the wilderness, now being used. Look at verse three. And he went into all the region around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Again, John is being used here, John the Baptist, to prepare the hearts of the people. And his message to them was to repent. A change of mind. That's what the word repentance means. The reversal of a decision. There's a lot of churches today that don't preach on repentance. There's a lot of churches who don't teach on sin and on hell. But a biblical church is going to teach the entirety of the Bible. It's going to teach about heaven. It's going to teach about the grace of God. but It is also going to teach about hell, about damnation. It has to be balanced with truth and love. Now, the thing with repentance is we don't like that word. Naturally, our flesh does not like to repent. How many times have you been in an argument with someone and then when you start to realize that you're wrong, you're like, no, I don't want to repent. I don't want to show that I'm wrong. But you know what? When you repent, there's peace in repentance. When you return to the Lord, he brings that that freedom. We think we're holding on to something so tightly and that's what's keeping us free, but in reality, that's keeping us in bondage. This was the message that John the Baptist was preaching to the Israelites. In verse four, as it is written in the book of, of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his paths straight see during this time when a king or a ruler would ride into a city a herald would run before them to alert the town to make ready this king's arrival He would say, clear the roads, clear any bushes or rocks in the path. For the king is coming. And this is John's mission. Now, John's message was for first and foremost, the Jewish people. Especially to those of the priesthood. It is interesting that God's message of repentance First comes to the church. See, John crying into the wilderness, perhaps we view that symbolically as the wilderness being the world. But John was crying out to Israel, God's chosen people, the religious leaders. And then that spread to the Gentiles. See, perhaps today, we look at society and the things we see on the news. And we believe that God's word is foremost for that, for the lost, for the lost world. When in fact, in scripture, throughout scripture and the word of God, we constantly see that the word of God is given first for his church to repent. You see, we think, man, the, the world needs the Bible We need the Bible back in church. We need the Bible to realize that, you know what? As a church, we need to get right with the Lord. We need to be on point. This message is for myself. I'm not standing here condemning us. I'm encouraging us to say, you know what? We all need to be people who are focused on the word of God. And we must live a lifestyle of repentance. You see, the more you repent, you realize, man, there is more peace in repentance. As we grow and mature as Christians, you will grow to sin less. You're never sinless. But you learn to repent more and more. In verse five, it says every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is really cool right here, what John is preaching. When I read this, there's a lot of symbolism in this. You see, some people, they might say, oh, you take all of the Bible literally. Well, you take it in context. Some of the Bible is symbolic. In verse 5, again, when he's talking about the valley being filled, that valley, it's, it's a symbol of being in a trial. But in the kingdom of God, those valleys, they're full of life now. Full of that water, that cleansing water. From the Holy Spirit. The mountains will be brought low it says. And this is symbolic of rulers and false religious leaders being humbled. Those who are high and mighty being brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. Referring to those who are broken in spirit. Being made right. Being made whole. And complete in the Lord, and the rough way is smooth. That's for those of us who are rough in character, easily agitated, angry. You see, when Jesus comes, he makes those things smooth. Isn't it co- so cool to see when, when God gets a hold a, of a man's life who used to be so big and wild and reckless and angry at people, just like one of those biker guys or something. And then when you see God get a hold of his life, maybe he still wears the the vest, but he's like, hey, how's it going, brother? And you're like, whoa. At the end there in verse six, he says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now in that verse, it says everyone's going to see the salvation of God. Not everyone's going to have the salvation of God. And I'm reminded in Philippians chapter 2, how the Bible teaches us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, everyone will see salvation, but will we have it Continuing in verse 7, as John continues his preaching, says in verse 7, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is John the Baptist's preaching method. It's like, you guys are all snakes. It's like, whoa, His type of preaching method is more hell and brimstone almost what I feel like. It's like, wow, this guy was an unusually powerful man and used by God. I, 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 you know, don't, as teachers, I'm highly encouraged not to try to be another preacher, but to just allow God to use what he's given me. And thank God I, I don't have to try to be like anyone else, but we could just be ourselves. But John the Baptist was an unusual man whom God used. In Matthew's gospel, we find out that of this multitude that he would be preaching to, many of them were Pharisees. And he's calling them vipers. Now vipers, they're dangerous. They seem to actually be smooth and they hide their teeth. So maybe they might not seem so dangerous to a little child. But then as they go put their hand out, those, those fangs come out and their fangs are full of, of poison. This is what he's calling the, fair, the religious leaders at that time were poisonous. They looked shiny on the outside and all squeaky clean. But inside they were living that unrighteous life of a workspace relationship. They were trying to take glory from God by getting in the middle between God and his people. In verse 8, he's encouraging them, he's rebuking them to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And it's not just saying the sinner's prayer, but it's living it. You see, it's not just the mouth service, but repentance needs to have that action followed by it. We can't just say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me, and then continue in sin. There needs to be fruit that comes from that. You know, I cannot stand here and judge and determine fully that a person is saved or not. But I can look at the evidence in their life and use discernment. And I could see, okay, does this person have evidence of repentance. Does do they have evidence of salvation in their life? And God will be judge. Again, in that verse 8 when he's telling them, look, you can't say we have Abraham as our father. He's reminding them that this, God doesn't have grandchildren. We don't relate to God on the basis of our parents. We don't relate to God on the basis of the church that we go to, our friends that we have. We have to have our own personal relationship with God. We need to be children of God ourselves. And that's a choice that we make. The Jews believe that they were saved on the basis of them simply being Jewish. I'm saved because I'm Mexican-American. No, we, we are saved because we have faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then in verse 9, he uses a, re- a reference saying the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Now that tree, it's a symbol of God's chosen people, those trees. And those bearing fruit, they're going to be pruned and blessed. And those not bearing fruit are going to be cut down. You remember John, the gospel of John, when we read about Jesus being the vine and we being the branches? In John 15, verse 5 and 6, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. You see, this is a preaching against sin, a warning of the consequences of sin. So may we bear fruit. And here's the the cool thing about this now. If we're thinking, okay, Lord, well, what do I need to do in order to bear fruit? What do I need to do now to go forward? Just allow yourself to abide in Christ and let it naturally come forth where he leads you. You don't have to strive and work to obtain God's good graces. It's freely given. And the more rooted you are in in the obedience to God and your abiding relationship with him, the more naturally the spirit will just flow through you. You don't have to set up a vision board of how you're going to bear fruit this year. Recently, I, I asked uh, Pastor Sean McKeon, "What what should we be doing as Christians now, looking forward to 2021, and after almost a year of COVID, and how how do we encourage the body of believers?" And in this conversation, he was encouraging me, and also my friend Mikey. Just continue to allow the Holy Spirit to be in your heart and your mind. It's not about, oh, what can we do for the kingdom of God? But what is God calling us to do today in our simple lives? It's a a daily walk, being obedient to him. In verse 10, So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? What shall we do? Repent. I love this moment because the people are coming to that realization that they are wrong. You know, it's okay that we come to that realization to then grow and to be formed into what God is calling us to, to repent. I'm reminded of the prodigal son, in Luke's gospel, which we will read a few weeks from now. But after the prodigal son leaves his family, takes his father's inheritance, goes, spends it and has a lifestyle like similar to Las Vegas, and then comes back broken, poor, when he finally has that moment of realizing that he's wrong. It says in Luke 15, 17, It says, But when he came to himself, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And I love that phrase when it says, But when he came to himself, because it allows me to see that there's grace in God's heart for us that he allows us to have that moment of, you know what, coming to ourselves, realizing that we're wrong, so that we can turn back to him. What shall we do then, was the question that these people, the crowds were asking John the Baptist. It says in verse 11, He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. I feel like that needs to be told to tax collectors today. In verse 14, likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So, when the people asked John the Baptist, What do we do now that we want to repent? He pointed not to some crazy theological essay of things that they need to be doing, but he said, Look, these are ordinary things that you need to walk in. It wasn't complicated. And these were things to correct against their brethren, against one another that they needed to correct. The jobs they worked, were they being faithful with them? Were they being honest? Did they have integrity? The people they were around, were they being generous and kind to those who were around them? Were they using power and force because they had it and were they taking advantage These were the things that John was telling them they needed to get right, to correct. You see, the Ten Commandments, as we study them, the first four commandments relate between humankind and God. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall not say His name in vain. And then the latter six commandments are all of, about sins towards one another. You shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Things of that nature. So there are sins that we commit against one another. These were things that John the Baptist is telling them to repent from, our sins against one another. And then in verse 15, Now as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. So now seeing the power of God move through John the Baptist, these people began to wonder, man, is this the Messiah? And we have this tendency to elevate the instrument of God higher than what is reality. There is a, a sad truth about certain big Christian pastors who take advantage because people are elevating them to a point of celebrity status and they use that as a means of gain. So uh, that would be like after a surgeon performed a surgery, heart surgery on someone. Everything went well. For that patient to come out and tell the doctor, oh, thank you, doctor, but you know what? I really want to thank your scalpel for all the work that your scalpel did. It's like, what? That's just the instrument that he used. So may we have a proper perspective of ministry, of ministers. See, ministry this ministry it's to give glory to god by giving to the people when this ministry start if you start to see that i am the one who is getting all the ministry to myself that i you guys are supposed to serve me you need to stop coming cuz that's not what ministry is ministry is for the people that the ministry is serving. That word minister, it literally means servant. So the ministers are supposed to serve the people as unto the Lord. The religious leaders at the time had it backwards. They were receiving the praises of man. And this is why John the Baptist is preaching against them. In verse 16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. See, John knew to give glory to the Messiah who was to come. He said, look, I'm just baptizing you guys with water, but there is the Messiah who is going to come. He said, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandals, to take off his chunkless You see the humility of John. And something that's awesome is this holy spirit and fire and this process that they have that of, of gathering wheat from the chaff you see the farmers in that time when they used to separate when they used to gather wheat they would have all these bundles uh, of wheat and they would violently hit it with their farming instruments throw it up in the air and hit it again and hit it with their violent instruments. And then there would be this big winnowing fan that they would use to fan all the chaff away. And what would fall on the floor would be the wheat. And they would gather the wheat and make that into bread, to food. This is what John the Baptist was saying that the Holy Spirit that God was going to do with the people that those who who were producing fruit, those who were the wheat, those who were abiding in Christ, they would remain, but the chaff would be tossed aside and burned. You see, this is the difference now that John is saying, look, I'm just baptizing with water, but Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the difference between life before Christ and life after Christ. You see, Jesus coming to this world impacted society in a major way. Before Jesus came, the way that humans would relate to God, God instituted animal sacrifice, which only covered their sins. So imagine this week, you look back, you're like, man, I messed up this week. I lied about this. I cut this guy off on the freeway. I was angry as people were cutting me off on the freeway. And I was a bad representation of, of Christ to people. So now, I, this, because of I, I messed up all this week, I got to go uh, take my, my cow and we got to slaughter it. And that will get me covered for the next uh, you know few, few weeks until we got to do another sacrifice for all the sins that I committed again. And there was a process and there was a genuineness to it. But Jesus changed all that. We don't do that anymore. And that lifestyle, what it, what it brought, was people only got, they didn't get to even go into heaven. Here's something crazy. So before Jesus came, nobody was going to heaven. Nobody. Before Jesus came. Now, the reason why is because in order to be in, t- in heaven, you need to be perfect. And nobody's perfect. We're all sinners. All have f- fallen short of the glory of God. So, when the saints died in the Old Testament, they would go to a place known as Abram's bosom. Hell was split up into two compartments. On one side, it was a place of Torment. And on the other side, known as Abraham's bosom, it was a place of comfort, a place of paradise. But it wasn't heaven. And in between, there was a gulf separating the two sides of hell. You learn, we're going to learn about this in, in Luke's gospel. From when Jesus is explaining about Lazarus and the rich man. Now, once Jesus came... Died for the sins of the world, of the entire world. Then those who believed in him went into heaven. You see, Jesus, remember when he died, he went into hell for three days and three nights. Jesus said, As Jonah was in the valley of the way of the fish for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the valley of earth for three days. And Jesus went down into hell and preached the most awesome preaching ever to the captives there saying, I was the one that the Old Testament talked about. I'm the one who is going to free you guys and we're going to go into heaven with our heavenly father and it's going to be a massive, awesome party greater than a wedding party that we've ever been to. And since that time, since Jesus resurrected on the, from the cross, from the grave, we have now been able to, once we die, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We enter into eternity with our Heavenly Father. So Jesus changed everything. There were no Christians before Jesus came. There was the Jewish religion, a true religion that worshiped the true living God. But once Jesus came, he instituted Christianity. That's why we're not Jewish here, we're Christian. So Jesus he has this uh, this fire, this holy spirit fire that is used in our hearts to cleanse us. The holy spirit fire, it's a symbol of God's cleansing of sin, the purging of sin. Sometimes we get confused when we hear, oh, the the fire of the Holy Spirit, sometimes people have taken that to think that it's this emotional, very dramatic form of of worship where you start to lose control. But the Bible teaches about self-control. Throughout the scriptures, we see that this fire, it's symbolic of purging. Recently, I was reading in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah is, is... before the Lord in the heavenly realm and he falls, he says, woe is me for I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. And so an angel comes to Isaiah in this heavenly realm and takes coal from the fire of God and touches that coal on Isaiah's lips cleansing him from sin purifying Again the fire in the Old Testament when we read about those three Israelites who were put in the fiery furnace to try them and who there was another in the fire we just sang about that that was Jesus you see the fire of God needs to be in our hearts we need to have that ability to be able to repent I stand here before you guys letting you know, like, I need to repent. I go through my own trials and and struggles, and I need to ask God for repentance. Uh, I'm not standing here to tell you guys that I'm the Messiah. I'm nobody. But I know Jesus. And I know that he loves you guys so much that he desires that we repent that we truly seek after holiness and allow the Holy Spirit to use us. In verse 18, and with many other exhortations, he preached to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. So a little history for a moment. This is Herod, the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch, at one point in time, visited his brother Philip in Rome. His brother was also a leader. And while there, he seduced his brother's wife, Herodias, to leave his brother and come marry him. I want to. Gets even worse. Herodias was both of their nieces. So it's kind of gross. Not only is he stealing his sister in law from his brother, but it's also his niece. Now, John the Baptist spoke out against this adultery publicly. He would preach out against them. And because of this, Herod had John taken from his preaching and put him in prison. You see, at times, the gospel and truth, it's going to cause believers to come under attack, to come under trial. This past Wednesday, about this past week, we were praying for Pastor Mike McClure up in Calvary Chapel, San Jose, because for having his church continue to remain open, he was being sued for over a million dollars, and facing jail time. Thankfully, they gave him a dismissal that he wasn't going to have to face jail time, but he still has to now pay fines. Millions of dollars of fines. And I'm um, looking at our society as, wow, man, I, I wonder what the future is going to look like for Christianity. When Christians are are persecuted for real because right now we're, we're not really under persecution yet may we be prepared for this may we stand for truth with love in verse 21 but when all the people were baptized it came to pass that jesus also was baptized and while he prayed the heaven was opened this is cool luke Constantly in his gospel is going to emphasize the humanity of the Christ. More than John's gospel, who John emphasizes more so the deity of Christ. But Luke documents how often Jesus prayed. You see, Luke likes to show how Jesus related to us because he was human. And we need to be praying. If Jesus himself, God, part of the Trinity, was constantly, we see in Scripture, praying, how much more so we, human beings. I was encouraged recently to be in prayer as I'm about to enter into a season of marriage pretty soon here. And I could think, oh, well, like, yeah, you know, I, I'm trained, I'm prepared for this. I've gone through Calvary chapels, like marriage classes and all these things and be kind of high and mighty about it. But I've recently been exhorted and being desperate for God's leading in it. I went to, before I started my work as a HVAC technician, I was really scared starting a new job and a new career, and I remember going outside of the the HVAC workshop that I was going to be working for, and, and just praying and asking God, God, give me favor here. Allow me to just be a natural at my job here, and the Lord didn't answer that prayer. I struggled for like a year and a half in my trade, just kind of trying to learn how to be a technician, and I, the Lord allowed me to get better over time, and it really has blessed me and allowed me to find favor there. I, I mentioned that story to a brother of mine in the Lord, and he encouraged me. He said, You know what, Sal? I want you to be that way about your marriage that you're entering into, to go to God desperately for help as you're entering into a new season of your life. And I took that seriously. The other day, L- Lisette and myself were driving around Glendora saying, God, what do you want to do? Is this where you want us to go? Is there, is there a city nearby you want us to move into, Lord? But being desperate for the leading of God in our life, not thinking, oh, these are our plans and this is the way things need to get done. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many plans have gotten canceled for our, our, our wedding this year or postponed or we're not sure if anything's going to happen. And every time something happens now, I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Whatever the Lord wants. But it's up to him, ultimately. But yeah, pray for us. <laughs> so God is going to move. But may we be prayer warriors. May we have that relationship with him where we come to him about things we're stepping into, things that we're leaving behind as Jesus prayed. Now look at verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. And in this verse, you could write a note next to your Bible and put the Trinity Because we see all three distinct persons of the Trinity in one verse. God the Father speaking down from heaven, saying, you are my beloved Son. We have the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. Now there are some who actually believe that Jesus is one being entirely, that there is not a Trinity But it kind of makes it hard to argue, well, okay, well, who's speaking to who here at that point? Is Jesus being a a ventriloquist? What's going on? But no, the Trinity is three distinct persons, one being. Now, what's really cool is that Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. So although he is completely God, completely deity. He is also completely human, completely flesh. He went through pain, through suffering. Now, all these verses that we're about to, uh, take an in-depth study on, all these names, I want us to, to really meditate. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're actually just gonna stop right here for, for today, but, I encourage you guys, when you come across genealogies in the Bible, on your own personal time, read them. Go through them. You're going to find some really cool things. What The importance of genealogies to the Jewish people was to see, okay, this is where the line of the Messiah came from. Luke gives this genealogy through Mary and gives the name of all these people and it's interesting that it goes all the way back to Adam and how In Matthew, he also does a genealogy. But it doesn't come from Mary. It actually goes from Joseph to Jesus. And both are all descendant from David, as was prophesied of. And when you actually go through the the names, you'll, you'll see names that you recognize of like David. Man, I remember David's life story, how God was with him in his life. Remember Adam and all those names that are going to bring those memories back to life. But I encourage us, in order to be doing these types of studies, we need to have that devotional life. We need to be in our prayer closet. We need to be reading daily. We need to be in fellowship with one another. From the chapter today, one of the, the big messages, the takeaways, is that message of repentance. may we walk in it this week may you walk in the grace of God knowing that Jesus loves you there's nothing that you guys can do to get yourself in a better spot with Christ you see because God's grace it's unmerited you simply just need to be open to his love coming down into your hearts be filled so that you can live that purpose-filled life let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace. Lord God, I pray and I ask, Father, that your spirit would open our hearts, our minds. Father, there's things that we all need to repent of. There are things, Lord, in our life that we need to make right. Help us to make that right. Help us to be one with you, abiding with you. May your Holy Spirit just give us the power to do so. Fill us with your spirit this week, Father, as we enter into a just a new season, Father. We ask for your guidance, Lord. We ask, Father, just for good health, Lord, that you might be able to use us. Lord God, I pray, Father, for those here who have those loved ones who they're praying over, watching over, leading and guiding. Give them strength. Encourage them. May we trust you in all these things. We love you, Father. We praise you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys would like prayer, uh, please don't hesitate to, to come talk with me, with my father, with Lisette. We would love to pray with you. Let's all stand. Next week, we're going to have communion here, so if you're watching online, just have your communion ready for next week, we're going to get together. Father, just thank you for your love. We worship you, Father, for who you are. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you would lay down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Amen. Be blessed this week. I'll see you Wednesday night online.